passage is John 16, 25 through 32. We will not get to 33. I'm going to leave that verse for next week. Um, because it really does, in a lot of ways, sum up what Jesus had to say to the disciples. And then we move into the last chapter, chapter 17, which is, which is his uh, high priestly prayer. We will study his prayer together the rest of the semester. But for this morning, 25 through 32. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I come from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking clear, speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why, this is why we believe that you come from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The word of the Lord. Help us, O God, to humble ourselves before your word, to learn from your word. Help us to repent of our need to be in charge, our need to be in the know. Help us to just rest that you are in charge and you know all things, and that is enough. It is enough to have you as our Father. Or we do confess um, as we come to this passage that we are so much like these disciples who want to understand, who demand Clarity, but really, Lord, all we need is you. Help me, God, to be faithful to the passage to preach um, as you would have me upon your strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, I brought up a um, topic. I brought up a smaller application of the passage that this week I want to expound upon more um, it was a little bit of a theme last week. It's a big theme. things under control and understanding things that are going on. And that seemed to resonate with a lot of you, particularly the second part of that, the idea that a lot of you um, said to me, you know, I always knew I struggled with control. I never realized how much I struggle with my need for clarity. Well, um, the good news, or maybe bad news if you don't like uh, conviction, but the, the good news is, is that Jesus really presses in on that specific issue this week on our need for clarity. Let me share with you something that happened in our home this week, a few nights ago. 
Uh, somebody gave us this puzzle. It's not like a puzzle like you put together pieces, but um, this, this thing where you have a bunch of different shapes and you've got to make them all work together to create these different things, and it, it doesn't matter. It's just really, it's really hard, okay? It's, it's really hard for adults. Um, I can't do this, okay? Um, and, and it's designed that way. Well, before bed um, a few nights ago, my oldest son was messing with this puzzle, and he, and he really wanted to do it, and, and it was bedtime, and I said, look, we've got to go to bed. And he kept saying, no, just give me a minute. I want to try to figure this out. And I, I said, Holt, you're not going to be able to do this, okay? It's, this is hard for, like, adults. I could spend all day working on this. You're not going to be able to pull this off. We just got to go to bed. No, 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 give me, give me some time. I really want to work on this. And he would go back and forth and back and forth. And finally I said, okay, look, here, I got a deal. Um, I'm going to put 10 minutes on the timer. You have 10 minutes to finish this puzzle. If you can finish this puzzle in 10 minutes, you are in charge for the rest of the week. Whatever you want, you're in charge. Y'all know where this is going. Uh, but, but the opposite is true. If, if you don't pull it off, um, then I am, I'm always in charge, but I want strict. I mean, everything I say, yes, sir, on the minute. No, no, you, no talking back all week. I get strict military obedience from you. For a week, but if you can do it, then y'all are in charge. He said, "Really in charge?" I said, "Yeah. Eat what you want, do what you want, stay up, like whatever. I don't care." He starts going at it. Direct quote: "Please, Jesus. Please, Jesus. Please, Jesus." <laughs> Which you got to work on the discipleship there, probably. But um, with one minute to go, Jesus answered his prayers. He puts his piece in and he goes, oh my gosh. And you should have seen the euphoria that took over my home as the inmates took control of the asylum. <laughs> and I'm a man of my word. I said, all right, what do you want to do? He said, I want to watch TV. <laughs> Get your TV. Some, some kid over here is liking this way too much. <laughs> Pierce. <laughs> uh... So I let him stay up and watch an extra show, and, you know, we did that. And then after the show, I said, look, you know it's not good for you to be in charge, right? You, you know. This, we, this can't continue. So I am asking thee, my master, may, may you concede power back. And um, he very graciously gave me back control of the house with this promise that this week will be a fun week, and I'll come up with some different things that we'll do that will make it... Uh, more enjoyable and unique and, and all of that. So I got control back, but here's what I have not gotten back. And, and honestly, every parent knows that you really never get this back. It's one thing to have control. It's another thing to have trust. It's another thing to have them not want clarity. That's what they did not give up. So all week, it's just been question after question after question. What do we get to do today that's special? What are we going to get to do tomorrow that's special? What do you have planned? Is this, is, are we just going to do this? Are we going to do more than this? Question, 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 question. If they're not going to be in control, then they want to be in the know. Because clarity is what we turn to to manage not being in control. And that dynamic, that struggle is what is before us in our passage with the disciples. And quite honestly, it's something that we all struggle with. It's one thing to not be in control. It's it's another thing to not be in the know. And that's what we're going to see this morning. Two things. What we think we need and what we truly need. What we think we need. Verse 25. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. 
the hour, the hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. Now that is the promise that the disciples have been dying to hear. The ministry of Jesus, as many of you know, is, is shrouded in so much mystery. He speaks in parables, he, he alludes to fulfillment, he hints of what is to come, he teaches in this kind of inverse way that confounds the wisdom of the time. Essentially, Jesus turns convention upside down, such that the only thing they have come to expect is the unexpected from Jesus. Even in the discourse thus far that we've been studying, which is, which is really the most in-depth Jesus ever gets with his disciples, this is the most in the know they ever get. But even here, his words have left them bewildered and confused. And that's the context of when Jesus says, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. But he says, but the hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but I will tell you plainly. And that's what the disciples want so badly. Listen, no more parables. No more unexpected surprises and fulfillments. No more allusion to different things. Speak plainly, Jesus, and tell us what's going on. It's very hard for us who know so much to relate to the disciples' struggles with this in the Gospels. But it's, we just take for granted you know, things like the Trinity, uh, the incarnation, the death of the Messiah, the resurrection of the Messiah. These astounding truths that have just grown commonplace to us. But imagine, imagine being in their shoes, trying to wrap your mind around what this is that is unfolding before them. Who is this man? What is he doing? What's he talking about in these parables? What's he talking about with this death and resurrection and going to the Father and the Father and the Helper, this Trinity? This, what is he talking about? They are desperate for him to speak plainly and tell them, Literally, what in heaven's name is going on? And he promises them that day is coming. Now, that day is already here for us. We're going to return to that in a moment. But as a preview to what, it, what will come, he gives them a taste. Verse 6, in that day you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf... He's saying, you're not, it's not just that you're asking me and I'll ask the Father. You're going to get to talk to the Father. Now listen to this. No illusion, no cryptic language, just straight up. Here's the bottom line, verse 27. The Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. The Father loves you because you love me and you believe me. That's the gospel in the most basic form. You know how the Father, the Father now loves you because of me. Because you love me and you believe in me. Then 28 is his mission in the most basic form. They're all like, what, who are you? Where have you come from? What have you come to do? Verse 28, could it be more simple? I came from the Father, I have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world, and I'm going to the Father. That's what I, I came from the Father, I came into the world, I'm about to leave the world and go back to the Father. You don't get plainer than this, and the disciples recognize in verse 29. His disciples said, ah, now you are speaking plainly. And not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Notice 
that their belief is contingent upon clarity. Oh, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. And then he says, this is why we believe. This is why you believe. This is what makes them believe after everything they've been through. All the miracles. All that they've seen and heard from Jesus. But it's this that makes them believe. Here's the problem. During the spectacular ministry of Jesus, and yes, it was spectacular. But during it, the disciples were constantly confounded, bewildered, unsettled, convicted, confused, scared. On and on I could go with the disruptive effects of Jesus in their lives. The one thing they never felt with Jesus was that they were in control and they were in the know. They never felt control or clarity. And these are the two things that our sinful nature craves. The human heart, the fallen human condition, the fundamental flaw of it is this insane desire to be our own God. God God alone is ultimately in charge, control. And God alone is ultimately in the know, clarity. If you want to use the theological terms, God alone is omnipotent. God alone is omniscient. But these are what our sin wants. The lie we believe is the lie that first deceived. When the serpent came and said, you know, you could be like God. You could know what he knows. You could be in charge. We are still tempted by that lie, thinking that what what we need is found on the other side of control and clarity. And like the disciples in our text, clarity might be the biggest struggle. A bigger struggle even than control. Because we don't recognize it. We can handle being out of control as long as we understand what's going on. The first question we turn to every single time in helpless estate is always the question, why? Why? This is only our attempt to minimize and manage the helplessness. I may feel helpless, but if I can just figure out why God has me here, if I can just figure out what he's doing, and if I can just come away with these important applications for my life, then I'll be okay. But that's just another way of grasping for control. It is an attempt to combat our lack of control with the false comfort that clarity provides. This is the main theme of the book of Job. God allows Job to lose everything completely out of control. And then the bulk of the book is a search for clarity. Why did God allow this? And Job's friends come and they each take their shot at giving him the reason why, bringing clarity into this desperate situation. And they have some pretty compelling answers. If you read the book, you listen to his friends, you're like, yeah, I could see myself saying that in a pastoral counseling meeting. This is what's going on. But the conclusion of the book is that clarity is not what Job needs. In fact, Job's questions are never answered. We never find out why. No clarity is ever given to Job. In the end, this is the conclusion of the book. He shuts his mouth and simply confesses, you are God and that is enough. 
We're going to get, that's where our passage is going to take us when we get to application. But we see here in the disciples the same desperation that we see in the book of Job. And then, for a brief moment, they actually think they have it. Now that you're speaking plainly, now that you're not using figurative speech, now that we finally feel and sense um, some control and clarity over and with you, Jesus, now we'll believe. Now we're with you, Jesus. But it's nothing more than false comfort that Jesus is quick to expose. Verse 31, Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? (laughs) Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. The comfort and surety that they are feeling in this moment is woefully flawed and unstable. And Jesus says, oh, so you believe now. Well, soon you're all going to abandon me. This newfound resolve is counterfeit. It is a false security that will unravel the moment it is challenged. Apparently, the clarity they think they need is not what they need, and we ourselves know this to be true personally. Return again to verse 25. And his promise, he says, I have said these things to you in figures of speech, but the hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. Now, what is that hour? We've been talking about this already in John uh, 16. Remember the context here is he is unpacking the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the helper, right? And here he says that that ministry will be marked not by figurative language like Jesus' ministry was marked by, but will be marked by speaking plainly about God. Now, there are many ways that that came to pass, has come to pass. First and foremost would be the work of the Spirit in the inspiration and formation of Scripture. We have the Bible. We have the New Testament canon. They didn't. The Spirit was inspiring them to write it. Nothing speaks more plainly about God than the Bible that he wrote. But the ministry goes further in the application of Holy Scripture. Individually, as the Word of God is clarified and applied to our lives. Corporately, as the church through the ages, guided by the Holy Spirit, has done likewise. There are so many ways to talk about this fulfillment, but the greater point is this. We have far, far more clarity than the disciples do in our text. You do realize that, don't you? You understand God more plainly, to use Jesus' language, you understand God more plainly than the disciples do. You understand Jesus his cross, his resurrection, his gospel, far more than they do in our passage. And yet, here's the question. Has that clarity led to greater faithfulness on our part? Meaning this. We understand plainly that Jesus died in atoning death for sin. If you're a Christian, you know that in some capacity. But if, you, if, you, if you're a Christian who's been following Jesus for a long time, or you've been in this church for a long time, there's no doubt you know that truth. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. So why do you struggle with so much guilt and condemnation? You don't need more clarity. You know. 
We understand plainly that Jesus is risen from the dead. Fact. Historical fact. Jesus is risen from the dead. So why do we struggle with hopelessness and despair? We understand plainly that Jesus has ascended to heaven and our souls will go to him when we die. So why are we scared to die? We understand plainly the sovereignty of the Father. So why are we anxious about tomorrow? We understand plainly the power of the Holy Spirit. So why are we scared of the world? You see what I'm saying? Jesus is saying, I'll speak plainly. You'll know plainly. But the answer to all these questions is that clarity does not equal faithfulness. It's important we need to understand. We need to understand plainly the things of God. But it's not that that gets us what we long to be. And that's his point. He says, oh, now because I speak plainly you believe, well, soon you will all abandon me. What the disciples think they need, what we think we need, control and clarity is not what we actually need. So what do we need? Let's close with that, what we actually need. We have covered all the passage except for that last little phrase of verse 32. Almost an offhanded statement by Jesus, but incredibly profound, eternally profound in its significance for us. So 32, behold, the hour is coming, indeed is come, when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. Jesus is about to lose everything, including the loyalty of his friends and disciples. Jesus is about to be arrested, condemned, tortured, and crucified. Jesus is about to stand alone as the substitute for sin, the slaughtered Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world by becoming sin and receiving what sin deserves. Jesus is about to go through hell, but he has one and only one consolation left to cling to, one and only one comfort and hope. One thing left, my Father is with me. He will lose everything except his Father and to Jesus That is enough. And so here's the greater point he has for the disciples and for us this morning. If it's enough for Jesus, is it enough for you? Simple, bottom line question, is God enough? That is the question that is staring us down this morning and demanding a very real answer. Because this is all the gospel promises us, people. God and nothing else. Is that enough? Or do you have to have God and control? Control over your finances. Control over your health and well-being. Control over your children and their behavior and their performance. Control over your husband or wife and their quirks and failures. Control over your singleness and pursuit of a spouse. Control over the opinions of others. Control over your work performance and success. Control of the future. Control of culture. Control, control, control. This is what we think we need. And when we lose control, as we inevitably will, then we start asking, do we have to have clarity? 
Do we have to know why my kids are struggling? Why I'm single? Why people have rejected me? Why, why, why? So that I can get busy fixing those things and get back in control. Must we have control and clarity or must we have our God? Friends, this is truly where the rubber meets the road of the Christian faith. We will all have our Job moment. Job lost it all, was completely out of control, and didn't know why. Complete loss of control and clarity. And he was forced to answer the question of all questions. All I have is God. Is all I have enough? We all have those moments in life where we come face to face with that question. Perhaps you're in that right this very moment. But even when we aren't in the fire of a Job-like moment, the question still persists. Is God enough? In prosperity, where we feel a sense of control, or in difficulty, when we feel completely out of control? Either way, is he enough? Jesus thinks he is. The Father is enough for Jesus. And Jesus thinks he is enough for you. Jesus thinks all you need is God. And you know what? He's right. Your sin is lying to you. You don't have what it takes to be omnipotent. You don't have what it takes to be omniscient. So you might as well give up on both and be thankful that your Father has them, and loves you. The day, the next morning, after I made that deal with Holt, he woke up in the morning and he said, hey, Dad, I'm really regretting giving you back control. I said, oh, you can have it back. I said, really? I said, sure. You're in charge. Cheers. Here's how much money it takes to run the house this week. Here are the things that need to get done. Get yourself to school, get yourself to practice, do your laundry, cook your meals. By the way, your brother has a dirty diaper that needs changing. Very quickly, never mind, you got it. Brothers and sisters, you may think you need control and clarity, you can't handle it. Better to just have the omnipotent and omniscient one as your father and let him handle things. Which is why this is all the gospel offers us, not control not clarity, a heavenly father. That last statement there by Jesus is just dripping with foreshadowing irony. You will leave me alone, yet I am not alone, for the father is with me. The very next day, hanging from the cross, these agony words, agonizing words from the lips of Jesus my God, my God, not my Father. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? There is mystery here. The fellowship of the Trinity remains unbroken, but at the same time, in a very real way, Jesus surrenders control nailed to a cross. He surrenders clarity. Why? Why is this happening? But one more thing. He surrenders his father's favor. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know the answer. You sang it 
already in that hymn, how deep the Father's love, the Father's turns his face away. You know the answer, but let your pastor tell you once again. Jesus was forsaken so that you will never, ever, 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 ever be forsaken. Jesus was forsaken so that you can say to everything what he says to the disciples. You will leave me, but I'm not alone. My Father is with me. Because of Jesus, those words are now your words. That line belongs to you. We can say to anything, comfort, finances, friends, parents, children, yes, even your own health and dying breath, you can say, you may leave me, yet I am not alone. The Father is with me. And that, indeed, is enough. Let me pray. Lord, we believe, help our unbelief. Show us that you are enough. We thank you for this promise. We thank you, Jesus, that you are forsaken by the Father, that we might have a Father. Show us now in communion that you are enough. In Jesus' name, amen.